Well, happy Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, I just love Sunday. That's not any introduction to the sermon. I just love Super Bowl Sundays. And uh, it's a packed house. Uh, Good to have you here with us. Uh, We have been in the process of working our way through the letter or the book of Philippians. So let's make it a super study day and uh, dive into Philippians. If you would open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Today we're taking on the last four verses of the first chapter. Um, And so typical of Paul, these four verses are actually one long sentence when they were originally written. Originally, it had 82 words in this sentence. And I say that because it contains a common thought. A sentence moves on in 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 its thought, and it holds as a unit with that. So this whole paragraph is kind of a unit of thought. Let me read it, and then we'll dive into it. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents." This is a clear sign to them of their destruction and of your salvation and that of which is from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Interesting. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Uh, this, these verses, this sentence, I believe is a, is a key pivotal movement point in the whole rest of the book of Philippians, in the whole rest of the letter. And in fact, I think that this sentence is the opening movement uh, of Paul going from talking about giving an update of his situations and what's going on and his thoughts about all of that. And now he's moving over into what is a teaching segment, a kind of divine instruction time. And this is the sentence that is the pivot into that, that really everything that comes from here, I think all the way through the middle of chapter four falls under this sentence. And this sentence has an opening clause to it that is even critical to that sentence. I could even say this. The opening clause is is the clause that everything from here on out falls under. So I'm going to spend some key time on that clause. The rest of the sentence will move a little bit more quickly through uh, with that. Uh, But it's a key, key sentence for the whole time. Plus, it's kind of a, uh, this opening clause is fun because it uh, sounds like Maximus Decimus Meridius. Yeah, I always got to bring that in, don't I? Uh, and it also has a bit of Yoda in it. Uh, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about here in just a second. Let's work through it. I want to work through it by uh, original language word order. I'm not trying to do that to be some kind of seminary geekoid. You kind of know I'm not that. Um, I did go to seminary, but I, I'm not so much that. And yet the reason for this word order in the beginning uh, time here is because of the fact that word order in the original language in Greek, word order mattered. And in a key clause like this, the sooner the word came in the clause, the more emphasis it had on it. And I'm going to tell you this opening clause begins with a bam. 
And, and it's intended to be so, and even the grammar makes it go that way. Let's work through it kind of word by word here. And the first word is manon. It means only. It means alone. It means only and alone without companion or comparison. It's like a bam. Paul's been giving this updates on his situation, thoughts about the situation that's going on with some great content to it that we've been studying through. And now we all of a sudden, like in this turn, in this whole long sentence, this opening clause, it's like bam, only. I got one thing. There's only one thing, one thing alone that's above all else. There is nothing that compares to it or nothing that is a direct companion thing. It's one thing. It's not 10 things. It's not five things. It's not three things. It's how many things? One. It's one thing. And as a simple guy, I love one things. I have half a chance of remembering one things. <laughs> okay. So, so there's a lot of hope for us this morning, friends, because it's just one thing with that. Uh, Manon, only one thing without companion or comparison. Well, only what? The second word, oxiao, it's an adverb, worthily. Only worthily. Now, that sounds like gladiator. It just does. Instead of strength and honor, by the way, just that statement right there, you know a whole bunch of other content about that that is just by those few words. Strength and honor. Well, here it's, only worthily is this emphatic call. By the way, I'm using the word worthily, not worthy, because there's a tendency when you read with the word worthy, it can sound like you become worthy of earning it, and that is not the point at all in the text. In other words, what we're about to read in this is, is that it's saying only worthily and, and that is something lived out of what you have. You don't do this to earn something. You already have something. Live worthily of that reality. Let's keep working it. So it's manon oxiao, only worthily. The next cluster of words are of the gospel of Christ. Well, that tells us a whole lot. It's referring to only worthily of the gospel of the good news of Christ. By the way, that cluster of words that's used there is used in other parts of the Bible that is not only making a reference to the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's not only making reference to, for the wages of sin is death because of sin, but the gift of God is eternal life. You know, the, the, the content of the salvation message. It's not that. It's actually referring to the entire content of information having to do with the gospel of Christ. I might say it this way. That statement of the gospel of Christ is actually grabbing all the way in the Old Testament, all the way to the new, end of the New Testament, and it's all of it. It's Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. The full content kind of idea of the gospel of Christ. Only worthily of the gospel of Christ. And then the last word in this opening clause, it's the verb, uh, polytuomai. It means to live. It means to behave. Particularly, it has this history of being used to one's citizenry, and that's important here. And Paul knew that in using this word. There is a way that you are to live that comes out of your citizenry. But let me pull this together. 
only worthily of the gospel of Christ, the full content and breadth of it, you must be living as a citizen of Christ. By the way, this verb uh, in it, it's called present active. That means it's to be presently, actively, and continually. It's a present active imperative. It means it's a directive. It's a command. It's an imperative. You must. You must presently, actively, and continually. You must. And also, important to this, it's second person plural. It has not to do with you individually. It has to do with you as a whole. It's a plural you. You all. Oh, he's writing to the believers in Philippi, right? He's writing to them and he's talking to them and this verb em- brings the emphatic reality of that. I'm not just talking to you as individuals all on your own. I'm talking to you all as a people, as a local church. You must be presently, actively, and continuously living as a citizen of whose you are. So if Maximus Decimus Meridius were saying this, he would say it as only worthily, and you'd know what he's talking about. If Yoda were saying this, he would finish with the verb, which Paul does in the clause. So Yoda fits Paul, not Paul to Yoda. Okay, I'm getting off. I can't, I tried in my office. I was laughing with some people in the first service. I was la- I, they were like, can't you do it in a good Yoda voice? And I'm like, I can't. So, so sorry, you fill in the Yoda voice, but it's basically Yoda going, only worthily of the gospel of Christ you all must be living. And his little ears are twitching, right? <laughs> let, let me kind of do it emphatically here, or amplified, I should say here. This is what this opening clause is kind of getting at. All of God's people in Philippi, all of you, There's a single, above all, without companion or comparison way that you all must be presently, actively, and continuously living. Live worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's it. Or more succinctly that I'll put up on the side screens here is this, only worthily. Of the gospel of Christ, you all must be living. Only worthily of the gospel of Christ, you all must be living. Say it with me. Only worthily of the gospel of Christ, you all must be living. I think in the whole flow of the grammar of the entire letter, everything that Paul talks about from here falls under that. Only worthily of the gospel of Christ, You all must be living. He follows that. What comes next? There's two words that are next in English. So that. So that. Uh, Living only worthily so that whether I come and see you or or whether uh, I am absent, I may hear of you. And I love these next three words. That you are. Uh, Let's pause there. Uh, That's an important and helpful thing. So that you are. In other words, Paul wasn't giving this only thing. There's only one thing, uh, living worthily of the gospel of Christ. That's the thing. He's not saying, okay, take only worthily and, and church and Philippi, make a whole bunch of banners, put them on your license plates, put them on your computer, you know, laptops and so forth, he, and, and post it everywhere. That, that's fine. That's fine. But that's not the point. 
Paul's saying that there's one thing and that thing you should be living so that you are that is the idea. This is the thing that we are to be. It's lived. It's not, it's not just said, it's seen, it's lived. And so if Paul were there with them, he could see it living out of them. If Paul couldn't be there and someone else was there and going to inform him of what was going on, they would be there and they would be able to see it in the people and come back and tell him, Paul, I'm telling you, I'm so thrilled about this because I am there and I am telling you that they are living worthily of the gospel of Christ. And Paul's like, ah, something like that. That's what he wants to see in it all. It should be lived and that means it should be seen at home and at work in our lives and at school. It should be seen in the car. Ooh. And online and at church and in our community, even while watching the Super Bowl. So if Paul could be with them, what is it that he wants to see? If, if he couldn't be there and someone else uh, is there, what would he want to hear uh, that they see in them? Only worthily. Only worthily that you are. What does that look like? It's one thing to say it, but if it's supposed to be seen, what does it look like? The cool thing is, is Paul tells us here in, in the rest of this uh, sentence. But before we go there, uh, just imagine something with me for a moment. Imagine. I imagine with me that we were all born into slavery and that we were owned by the most tyrannical slave owner ever to be imagined. And then, but then, we were given the opportunity, let's say, to be redeemed out of that enslavement citizenry. And we said, yes, we want to be redeemed out of that enslavement. And we cried out, yes, for that opportunity. And our citizenship was miraculously transferred in that moment. And it was transformed from an enslavement condition to a citizenship in the most mind-blowing kingdom you could ever imagine. A mind-blowing kingdom with a mind-blowing kingship. And on top of that, you're in this mind-blowing kingdom with this mind-blowing king, kingship. And you and I, we actually have the opportunity to have access to the most amazing, loving, stunning, blow-your-mind king. And in being made citizens of that new kingdom... We're given one ask, just one, just one. In this kingdom, live only worthily. Not to earn it. You already have it. 
but to live what you have. After all, think about it with me for a second. If you are over here in an enslavement condition, and now you are over here in this mind-blowing kingdom, why would we live like back there? Can I just suggest that doesn't make sense? We, we, we didn't use this word in our home with our kids growing up, so kids cover your ears, but it's, that's stupid. <laughs> Only worthily of what you have been given. Live that. Live that. Live what we have. Live out what we have been graciously given. But have you noticed that that doesn't come natural? Have you noticed that it's hard for us to actually, through the work of Christ and receiving Christ as your Savior, and if you've never done that, I want to invite you, talk with someone, drive the stake in the ground and come to the kingdom. Why would you want to live there? But then when we come here, there's this thing in us that just draws us back. And we have this one ask, and yet we have this tendency to be drawn back. It doesn't come easily. But it is the one thing that we've been called to. Only worthily of the gospel of Christ, you all must be living. Okay, Paul, we hear the call, but what does that look like? And that's what I love. The rest of this sentence goes on and it lays out what it looks like. So let's just touch on these three things here for a little bit. Uh, The first of which is standing firm, standing firm. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, that I may hear that you are. You are what? what? What are we to be? That you are to be standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm. It it contains this idea of continuously standing firm, not momentary standing firm. It's a strong standing, not a whippy standing. You know, basketball, uh, uh, soccer, uh, defense, football. I mean, this is the kind of position you're, you're to be in. It, you, because you can get pushed and you can get shoved, but, but it, it's not this. Right? You are going to be knocked on your can. But it's this idea of standing firmly, ready. You're in a game. Isn't it interesting? The Super Bowl, there's opposition, and they want teams that are standing firm. as a united group of people. And this is kind of today, we're going to see this text kind of lived out tonight. And here it is, you're to be continuously standing firm, not whippy standing. It's like we're holding sacred ground, like a battalion of warriors protecting and warring for what is most valuable. It's like being gladiators and gladiatorettes. I mean, it's that kind of an idea. And it's a standing firmness to be done in one spirit. 
In the Greek, the word is pneuma. Uh, It never is capitalized or small. We have in our Bibles, the Holy Spirit is capital and and just human spirit is small. It's always determined by the context what it is. There's, I would actually view, the minority view would say this is referencing standing firm in one Holy Spirit. I don't think that's what the text is talking about. This is more of a horizontal reality and the context has more the idea of standing firm together in one spirit as one unit uh, together, as one unified entity, as one unified battalion, not standing alone, but standing together, arms locked, strong as one. And in that day, the idea of the, this concept would have been something, a picture like this. Uh, by the way, could, could I just insert with that a sword of the spirit, a shield of faith, helmet of salvation? Well, Doug, that looks like they're kind of angry about it. No, 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 no. They are protecting something of great value. They're linked together. That's how the Romans used to do it. They literally at times would have one arm linked in the whole process with shields up. And this is, I'm telling you, the the terms that are used here, when the people in Philippi, the believers in Philippi read this, this is the kind of imagery they got it. Not mad at people, but standing firm like a battalion of gladiator warriors. That's what it is. It's all of us together, not standing alone, but united. And by the way, this doesn't, united does not carry the idea that all of us are the same. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that God has created us uniquely and and gifted us uniquely. And it's in the uniqueness that when the uniqueness comes together as one, you're far more strong together, united as unique individuals than you are as one standing alone. So this isn't about everybody becoming a bunch of lemmings. This is about who we are created by God in our own uniqueness by God, in our own unique stories of God at work in our lives and all coming together and though unique, united together. Standing firm as one. Secondly, with one mind. The text says with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I love this picture. It's so cool because it's like Paul said, standing firm. There's a physicality to that. You get the idea of standing firm, linked together, you know, kind, kind of like on the screen idea. It's a unit of people, a battalion of God's people like that. And then he brings in this idea of one mind. The word is what we would have is the word psyche, not psycho, <laughs> psyche. It's all one with a one psyche, linked together, standing firm, and one mind. I love that. And one mind for what? Well, one mind for what I want. No, that's not united. It tells us One mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The wording in there, it even gives you this feel as it does mean. It gives you this feel. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easy. You got to fight for it. Not fight against each other for it, but you've got to fight as a people in unit together, uh, physically, mentally, for what is most valuable for the faith of the gospel. 
I want to pause here and note this. All of what we're being told here by Paul in Scripture is very countercultural to our world right now, where we live. For instance, we live in a very self-independent culture. And there are many things about that that really are wonderful that America in its history has been allowed to have a level of freedom that other people in the past haven't had. And in that freedom to explore and to make and to create and to be. And there's some wonderful things about that. But in that self-independence, there's also this thing about how we applaud self-living. You know, it's my way and my choice and I'm my own man and I'm my own woman. I'm my own teen. And we go it alone. Interesting. Satan wanted to go it alone. Satan didn't want to live under the authority and under the the reality, and might I even say under the unity that God would actually provide together. He's like, no, I don't want that. I want my own thing. And there can be a real downside to the whole self-independent reality. We also live in a very consumer-minded culture. You know, it's about what you provide for me. We go to the store, and what are you going to provide for me? We have this product. What are you going to provide for me? We do it in church. We do it in relationships. I am really concerned as a culture that we have come to a place in our culture to where relationships are viewed as transactional. In other words, what you give me. In fact, even the gospel is presented that way. What God will give me for my benefit. I want to say with this, I am so glad that God is not that way with us. Because what goes on oftentimes is is we have this thing of when you disappoint me, I'm out with you. When you disappoint me, I'm out with you. And I am just so glad that God does not have that attitude. Because we would all be hurting. Every single one of us. And this self-independent, consumer-minded culture is counterculture to what we're seeing here in this text of Scripture. And friends, here's the fact. None of us have our act together. None of us have our act together. None of us are our own man or our own woman or our own teen. None of us. None of us are without pride. And none of us can stand alone. We are all train wrecks. It's just the truth. And then when we see that other people are train wrecks, we're, su- we're surprised. What? And yet, God comes in, and God can take train wrecks, and even put train wrecks together, and turn it into something amazing. Not because they're amazing, but because he is amazing. If those train wrecks are willing to do so. 
It's not about what I think or prefer. It's not. And I'm sorry it's not about what you think or prefer. It's not. It's about what God says and what God calls us to and what Scripture tells us. That's what it's about. And there is one thing that we have been called to. And that is that we would live worthily of the gospel of Christ. Pursue after that. That's the thing. Living worthily. It looks like standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the gospel of Christ. And third, not frightened. I like this one. I so appreciate this. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. You've got to understand, this not frightened is in the context of opponents. And in this, it carries the idea of intimidated. And let me, let me put a couple passages with this because the content of this, or the context has to do with opponents. The, the people, the believers in Philippi, they've been pushed on and they have opponents against them and they're warring against and they're, and they're uh, at this point in time, they're about a 10-year-old church, not a 10-year-old church comprised of people who've known Christ for 30 years, but a 10-year-old church of people who've, who've been known Christ for the very most 10 years. And in this, they're experiencing opponents. And Paul has experienced opponents when he was there. So Paul's talking to the reality of what's going on. And two verses, let me to put with this. One is 1 Corinthians 1.23. 1 Corinthians 1.23, it says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews at the time, and a foolishness to Gentiles. What's that saying? That's saying that as we proclaim Christ and live Christ, there are people who view that as not just annoying, but foolishness and as something to be shut down. And I don't know if you've noticed here recently, but it just seems like the years as they go on in my own life, that it's like it's really become to where a country that's been founded on there is a God is all of a sudden now becoming a country that is opposed to people who believe that there is a God and truth. Hey friends, we live in an opponent culture now. Wake up. Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised? It was happening a couple thousand years ago and they were talking about it, expect it. And it's happening here. It's more like welcome to the rest of the world. And here they are in this, uh, not frightened. Uh, another passage, uh, John 16, Jesus says, uh, in this world you will have trouble. Oh, you will have trouble. And then he says, but take heart, disciples. I have overcome the world. By the way, that last statement doesn't negate the earlier statement. In other words, the fact that Christ has overcome the world doesn't mean that there won't be troubled times. It means there will be troubled times, but in the big reality of it all, he has overcome the world. Take heart in that. But know this, trouble will come. And we're not talking about individual trouble. Here in the context of Philippians 1, we're talking about God's people being experiencing opponentry trouble. Expect it. This terminology of not frightened, it was, used to be used in reference to a horse, a horse in battle. I mean, picture a stallion, a beautiful horse that's been trained to go into battle and 
and, and it comes into battle and then all of a sudden, let's say it, there's a bomb explodes, boom, and screaming taking place. What happens? The horse gets spooked. Hey, the spooked is not what Paul is addressing here. You will experience trouble. Spooked happens. It happens. It's what you do with that is the idea of the word here. You will be spooked in the battle that we live in. But the fact of the matter is, is what happens? That horse, it's spooked and like us, it kind of rears up and it, (laughs) whatever it does. And then it like, it turns and it wants to haul off, right? And run from that. And Paul's saying, listen, you're gonna be spooked. And you're going to rear up and go, whoa, what's going on here? And it's like, instead of rearing off and heading out, that's the frightened part. Instead of stay in. And in fact, I've termed it as one horse, but that's really not what Paul is talking about here. Paul isn't talking about a single horse. Paul is talking plural. Paul is talking about a herd of horses. Hey, God's people in Philippi, you herd of horses. (laughs) When you get spooked, and there will be times when you will get spooked, and you will just have a natural rear-up reality and want to head out, but when you are together, standing firm, one mind, something takes place in that to where there is less likely the reality of together of hauling it off away. And it's reminding each other and helping each other in that moment. No, let's not take off. Let's not be frightened. This is what we've been called to. Let's continue on in the war. That's the idea that's going on here. So I go back to my R&D days, my engineering days. And here's my equation. Standing firm plus one mind, plus not frightened, equals fearless unity. Say it again. Standing firm, plus one mind, one souled, one psyche, plus not frightened when you're that. It turns out and results in a fearless unity. And a fearless unity is a beautiful thing. In fact, I'm just going to read the rest of the text and I'll bring all this to a conclusion. Fearless unity results in being, look at the text, a clear sign to them of their destruction and of your salvation. And that, I think, being, and your salvation being from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. By the way, imagine you're in the church of Philippi and you are suffering by opponentry that's going on. And this thing that you believe is the most amazing news that could ever happen. And yet there are people fighting against you and trying to take you out and take you away and tell you this is foolishness and this is wrong and this is actually completely in the way. And you're like, what is going on with this? Why am I getting this opposement in all of this? And yet you hear this letter. No, this is what comes with it. I would prefer the poof and it all gone. 
but at least the word of the Lord coming saying that this is part of it, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had when he was there, and now here that I still have. Only worthily of the gospel of Christ, you all must be living, standing firm, One mind, not frightened. If you want to dig into this a little bit more this week or as small groups dig into this, uh, two verses I'll just toss on the table. One is Proverbs 18.1. Proverbs 18.1. In the English Standard Version, it says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Isn't that interesting? Listen, if you're a person that's all about doing it alone, you're in trouble. And I don't say that as judgment of you. I don't. I say that because of what Scripture says. When you're an alone person trying to live for the Lord, you're going to be off on your own thing because you're going to lose all sound judgment because you don't have other people to keep you within the realm, not to make you into a lemming, but to be a united body together. And secondly, Ecclesiastes 4.12, though one may be overpowered, two can withstand, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's fearless unity. The irony of this text on this Super Bowl Sunday which also happens to be the last full sermon Sunday that I will have here as a pastor, is that this text speaks of my heart for you. Mm, It's very kind. This text, and thank you, Nate, for setting this all up where I got this text on this Sunday. Nate's taken the next three Sundays, and then we'll have our uh, 15-year anniversary coming up. But uh, what a sweet text for me to finish, if you will, with. And because of that, I'm going to make three calls. Three calls. One, call number one to the elders, the pastors, and staff. I love you guys. I am so grateful for you. And I have a call for you that comes out of this text. There is a one thing that is to be the thing. Elders, pastors, staff, there is a one thing that is to be the thing. And it is without companion, without comparison. It is the alone thing. And it is that the people of this church Continue to pursue knowing and living what it is to be an only worthily of the gospel of Christ's people. That's the thing. Equip them for that. Equip them to that. Equip them to what it is to be a standing firm in one spirit, a one-minded striving side by side for the faith of the gospel people and not frightened by any opponents. There are a host of wonderful things you can do. And in many ways, do them. 
but this is the thing. Make the one thing the thing. Call number two. I've been holding it together pretty well so far. Call number two is to you. It's to this church family, this church body. I love you. And because of that, there is one thing that must be your thing. And that is this thing. Living only worthily of the gospel of Christ. That's the thing. There are so many good things that can grab your attention and time and energy, and I'm not saying don't do them, but living worthily of the gospel of Christ, standing firm, one mind, not frightened. That's the thing to be pursued. Fearless unity. And it is your responsibility to seek it and pursue it, and as the text says, to be that. It is your responsibility as a follower of Christ. Radiant living only worthily is your thing for our kids, our teens, our adults. And then lastly, third calls to myself. And I'm going to include Karen in this as well. We don't know exactly to the details of what life ahead looks like. We know much of them. We're going to continue living here. But much of it we don't know. We do know this, though. We won't be some non-engaged, self-absorbed retirement. It's never the call of Scripture. But whatever the next chapter of life looks like for us in the details, just publicly, I and we commit to further living worthily of the gospel of Christ. Rejoice in fearless unity. Let's pray. Lord, this is what it is about. And every so often it's wonderful to kind of coalesce ourselves, bring ourselves around the one thing. And here in Philippians, just the way it's termed is just a beautiful live worthily of what we have. Live worthily of the gospel of Christ. We must be that. Growing in that. Pursuing that. Living that such that it's seen. And in that, there is a fearless humility about it. Next Sunday, Pastor Nate's going to pick up and add to this reality of fearless unity. There is a humble unity. And I just pray, God, that we as followers of Christ, wherever we are, that we would link ourselves with people who are pursuing you. I pray that for me. I pray that for this church family. 
pray that for the leadership. And I pray all of that for the glory and fame of your name. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.